got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah. Welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast. Today we're going to talk about perfecting the pitch deck and your presentation. My name's Kevin Hill. As always, here with the one and only Dooner. Let's How are you doing today, Dooner? Let's talk about decks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs> All right. Oh, we're up on LinkedIn, too. Just going to share this out really quick. If you're in the comments, say hello. Let us know where you're coming in from and what you want to know about decks, because this is an interactive show. Uh, let's see. What do we got going on, Kevin Hill? We got a lot. Go- we have a lot to run through today. So should we just get to it? We're going to have Steve Ferreira on from Ocean Audit. We're going to talk about decks. We've also got some bad marketing. We've got a great debate topic as well. Wayne Craig is already in the comments. He says, hey, guys, what's up, Wayne? Uh, let's get to a little bit of bad marketing first. This is a lesson in uh, wording, isn't it, Kevin Hill? It is definitely a lesson in wording. Today is today. There's a little TikTok for you, Wayne Craig. I don't know how many likes that'll get. He does well on the TikTok. Uh, this one is from Echo Store, right? Eco Store. Eco Store advised its customers that all bottles have been permanently recalled. This is a tweet they put out. All bottles have been permanently recalled. More details to be announced soon. Obviously, this uh, was put out on Twitter and it made people go nuts because the term recall when you're talking about products is... Uh, Almost akin to, you know, yelling fire in a theater or coughing and without a mask on and saying you've got COVID. So a lot of people show up on Manila or salmonella. Wait, uh, if you're like a piece of chicken or something. Well, salmonella, poison, you know, anything bad. Recall. I mean, your brakes don't work. Recall. Yes. And this is a product. These are like skincare products and stuff. And they said permanent bottle recall. What they're actually trying to say was that. They are doing this eco-friendly system where you keep your bottles and you they're going to do a closed root loop recycling system. So it was all in, in good faith. But the way this went out and the way people read it is uh, like one lady says, recall, I'm using this la- this laundry liquid for my newborn's clothing. Why are the products being recalled? Yeah, it's, it's just a, don't use that with auto manufacturers. Don't use it with products that people put on their body or in their body. Stay away from the word uh, recall. Might, might not be the best direction to go. Yeah, it reminds me of E. coli. That's another one. Yeah, don't, what, what's so wrong with discontinued or a change or environmentally friendly? Don't use recall. Or repurposed or closed loop. Yeah, stay away, yeah. From, stay away from recall. Here's a, um, here's a debate, Kevin Hill. This is, uh, this is, maybe we'll get a sales hut tip out of this one. Sales hut tip. So, gentleman by the name of Scott Lees, he writes on LinkedIn. Saw us yesterday. Big debate. Big debate. A lot of comments. And he goes, when the CFO says everyone deserves credit for revenue in a company-wide email, I just want to reply all. But only sales deserves to get fired for missing revenue goals, right? You know, being sarcastic. GTFOH, with that noise, if you won't take on the same number and accountability. Folks in the comments, how do you feel about that? Should the company get praise for revenue in a company-wide email? Kevin, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think the, the company, all employees of the company should be praised. Uh, but I do think that if sales numbers are down, then who gets blamed the, the most is the sales team. You know, no matter if it might be a, a team 
effort or not really an effort, right? A, a team loss. The people who get blamed first are the sales team. Um, but, you know, I, I, so I can see both sides to this issue. Well, I put this out for a vote on Twitter as well. And 70% of you agreed that uh, only the sales team, I believe, uh, it's, it's kind of weird with the wording. And maybe I should have worded my, 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 uh, my poll better. But I think that 70% are saying that, yeah, sales, since sales takes all the accountability, they should get all the, all the, the praise and glory. Actually, non-salesperson, our own John Paul Hampstead, he had brought some rationale to this debate. He said, one, sales is high risk, high reward. Two, salespeople also make more commission when they sell more, so they have upside and downside exposure. Salespeople are not the only people let go when there's a revenue problem. And I think a lot of companies face that, especially with, with COVID layoffs and all that. You know, and, and Almost no company was immune with, to some of that stuff. And four, companies should do everything they can to keep their salespeople happy, motivated, pr- and productive. Salespeople's feelings matter. And I think that might be the bigger issue. I think that if salespeople is that offended by an email like that, just praising the organization for doing well, that's probably a cultural thing where the sales team is getting hammered too often and not getting praised enough, so much so that when they see an email like that, they get incredibly defensive and are like, wait a second, revenue's all due to me. It's like, well, first of all, you wouldn't have a product without that. You wouldn't have customer service. You wouldn't have marketing. Uh, You wouldn't have a founder without the CEO. There's a lot of different factors going on with the company than just you selling. But at the same time, Kevin, you and I have been salespeople and you often feel like you're on an island and there's someone with a knife ready to play that executioner's song anytime the numbers are down. Yeah, it's, it's all about what have you done for me lately. So what you did three weeks ago, three months ago, three years ago, it doesn't matter. It's what you've done today and yesterday. So there is that pressure. And as JP says, it's high risk, high reward. So you have to take the stress with those high rewards. You, you, can't, you can't be an excellent salesperson, be a, a top 20 percenter or a top one percenter without dealing very well with stress and, and, and not worrying about emails that, that congratulate everyone for a great quarter, or a great month. Or a podcast, great quarter, guys. Rhonda, Rhonda says, I agree with him, LOL. Rhonda, why do you agree with him? You in the comments, why do you agree or disagree that when revenue goals are made, it is wrong or right for the entire company to be praised? I am on team. It's fine to praise the entire company. That is internal marketing. That is keeping everybody motivated with the caveat that you have to be careful with how your salespeople are treated. And again, this is that could be a telltale sign of other fractures within the system. It definitely can. So, you know, it's as I said, it's high risk, high reward. I mean, you're going to if you're in sales, you are going to always have pressure, intense amounts of pressure on you. And you just have to learn how to deal with it. And the best way to learn how to deal with it is become really good at sales. If you really get sales, all the pressure just kind of flows off. Lisa Turville says, hi, from Freight by Nicole. Hey, I, congratulations. I know you you just broke ground over there. Lisa must be, what, employee number two? Lisa, is that true? Sassi says, good afternoon. Eric Serta says, hero to zero. Absolutely, Eric Serta. Um, should we get to the main event here? We got, a lot, we got a lot of meat to dig into in talking about the perfect pitch deck. Yeah, let's talk about decks. So the first thing we did is talk about decks, baby. So the first thing we did, and whenever we do these, is we, we tend to put the topic out in advance. And we either do a survey or we put it out to the audience to get some of your feedback on what you're doing so we know how to model the episode. And some of that feedback came from a few of you. Chris Jolly, he said that he's using video instead of decks, and he's avoiding email. So he's making direct connections and doing his presentations. I don't know how much of that is colored by COVID. Chris, if you're in the comments, uh, has that changed at all because of COVID? Would, did you previously do more presentations? with decks and now you're just using the power and the leverage of video i'm not entirely sure but he's avoiding email 
Uh, Michael Caney, our own Michael Caney, gave a nice sonar plug, and he favors simple and clean without too many slides, a theme that I think you, myself, and Steve are probably going to harp on in a little bit. We are definitely going to harp on this. Uh, the, the, the worst thing, you know, they, they call it death by PowerPoint for a very good reason, because it's a handicap for for the presenter in a, in a lot of ways. It, it's distracting, especially if you have a lot of text on there. If you're trying to explain everything that you do, and a lot of times it's very feature based on, on that on their slide decks uh, and you find that your audience is reading your slide deck, not paying attention to you. And then if you have that, and I find that all the time when I'm, I'm going by, by slide decks with, with text is that it's a handicap for me. I, I kind of lean on toward that. And I, I try to follow that, 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 that pitch deck or the, that slide formula. And my presentation just goes off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, and Steve's asking how he connects to the show. Steve, I call you at 1225. Like the invite says. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, <laughs> Steve will he's be re- on he's with raring us. to go. He is raring to go. He's raring to go. I know. He's, he's been just messaging me, go. just raring to go. Yeah, I know. Well, he'll be on soon. He'll be on soon. So, all right, stop messaging me. You're, you're coming into my feed, Steve. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I have your number, Steve. <laughs> I have. Okay. He says, please use that number. I have it, Steve. Thank you. I have it. Okay. Steve, you can join the comments now, too. We are live um, if you would like to. So, Michael Kenny, the one thing that he says here is I load decks with too many slides at the beginning about selling the firm. And I think that that's really fundamentally important. And you see a lot of decks where they just want to lead off talking about the company. We do this, we do that. Instead of focusing on a solution or a problem, uh, I think that's one of the, the highlights of what Michael Caney had written here. It is a highlight, and then that's a, the number one mistake in all salespeople's uh, pitch decks or, or slide decks, PowerPoint presentations, is that the first five or six slides, so you're talking about 10, 15 minutes of a presentation, if it's, say, a 30 minutes or 40-minute uh, presentation on your company, it's about your company, and no one really cares about your company. No one really cares how long you've been in business. No one really cares how many awards you win. At the end of the day, you have to grab people's attention from the start, so you have to talk about what everyone likes to talk about, Dooner, and that is themselves. The word you, 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 you. And uh, sorry with that, you can end with maybe some, some things about your company or sprinkle those in. But if you, the first 10 minutes, man, if you're just talking about your company and your cap- capabilities, you are going to see some glazed over eyes or people playing on their phones. Brandon Bay, he does something sort of interesting, and I'm not necessarily sure I would recommend it. I, I, I would like some more insight on how this works for him, because he says that he likes to send his slides in advance. My question about that would be, how often do the, the potential prospects open those slides up, ingest them, and come up with the potential feedback? And Steve made a comment on that, Steve Ferreira, that he actually likes to hold his slides back because it's his superpower. He wants to drop that as the dynamite. When you have a, a slide deck as good as a C for ours, then that's exactly what you do. I think, I think we make a, a you know a misthought or a misstep whenever we think the the, the prospect uh, is or the customer client whatever is going to sit around and prepare for the meeting. Right, you should prepare as a salesperson to make sure that you're on point. But you should assume, and that's part of the, the curse of knowledge and kind of what we'll get into. You should assume that there has been no preparation, so you can break it down as simply as possible to to have a really good concrete message, which is a much better presentation than going in and assuming that your your prospect or, or client or customer has uh, done their due diligence on you. 
Now, Tom Curry, he says you have to do both. Not talking about the slides. He's talking back to our previous discussion here about praising the team. If it's okay to praise the entire team on revenue, he says you have to do both. You need to reward the promise makers and the promise keepers. One without the other doesn't work. Heather Martin says takes a team. Everyone's job plays a part to keep customers happy from the sale, the service, and the receivables. Uh, Eric Serta, he only uses slides to visualize his his surveys. Uh, great points about clients and what they need. That's Nicole Barrett. And Josh Holbrook says, I missed the beginning. However, I agree with praising the whole team because there's a lot of work that is done in the background for sales to work, depending on how siloed your organization is in sales. All great points from everybody talking about here. And then Tom Curry says, I'm with you, Kevin Hill. I get into too many presentations where they spend the first team, first 15 minutes talking about their history, who the company is, all this boring accessorial information. And I think companies do it because they want to validate themselves to you, validate mm-hmm. themselves instead of validating the problem and the solution, which is more crucial than validating your company. Your company is a means to an end. It doesn't necessarily matter, especially if you're a company they haven't really heard of. Don't worry so much about validating yourself. You can do that during the presentation, but you got to hook them first by speaking their language and talking to them about the issues that they face. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's about building validation. That's the reason why it's done. And it's the the easiest thing to do, the, the simplest and what people know about, right? That they know about their company and they know and then they feel very passionate about that company and they want to share that. Uh, but validating and, or getting credibility is another way to say it. It's building credibility, but there's a better way to build credibility. And you just said it, Duna. It's about the problem at hand, being able to offer a solution to the problem at hand right off the bat, that builds more credibility than uh, your, your company details, your awards, your achievements, how long you've been in business, uh, or the, the founder's story. Uh, the, the, the providing a solution at the problem on hand right now is, is the best hook that you can do. TJ Knudsen's strategy is using a shell template that stays on brand, but he can customize and customize and create AB versions of. He also likes a physical asset. And this is this is interesting. I, I think the on-brand part is incredibly important, right? Keeping it on brand, keeping a great look to it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that can happen with templates sometimes is it can create a little bit of laziness where you put in some dialogue that may sound good for one client or something that's a little bit too generic and not specific enough and lean into it. I'm not saying that he does that. I'm just saying be mindful of that, especially if you are are managing other salespeople and giving them the template. A lot of salespeople can be very lazy with those kind of things. As Blythe points out, Blythe said, Blythe uh, reminds sales to work with marketing and she laments new decks being built. Marketing spending all these times on new decks, putting material in there, but then some reps stick with their age old decks like it's their comfy blanket. And it is their comfy blanket, right? That's the reason why you stick with age-old decks. And it really depends on your situation. If you're going in for contract bids, really high-value opportunities that, that really need high customization, high touch points, high white-glove service, uh, like you do in Final Mile, then it should be a, a completely customized pitch deck for that customer. But if it's low value, lower value opportunities, if it's something that's really rapid that you don't really have time to uh, create a new deck uh, for, for each and every opportunity, maybe you're doing multiple demos or presentations per day, um, you know, via Zoom or, or, or Google Hangouts or, or Meet or whatever, uh, then, you know, you just tweak it just a little bit, but it really all depends on the situation. What about the physical asset? Does it waste paper or does it make the paper? 
What do you think about that one? Because I know personally, I get kind of annoyed when people hand me stuff at a meeting. I don't, I'd rather have it digital. I'd rather you send me a PDF. I'd rather have it referenced back. I, uh, I, there's no way I'm going to keep track of any paper that you give me. It's going to end up in a drawer or the recycle bin, maybe even before you leave the room. No, I'm not that rude, but I just don't like a physical asset, but some people do like printing them. How do you feel about it? You know, so some people do like printing them. For me, for me, it wouldn't work because I would lose it. Uh, not being disrespectful at all, I, I wouldn't throw it in the trash can. But I would lose it in in twenty minutes because I, I'm a paperless person. Just because I lose everything. I, if it's paperwork, I'm going to lose it before you know I can walk out of a room. Tom Curry says, "How many three PL decks include a picture of the U.S. map with a bunch of lines showing key markets?" Although saying they're experts in all lanes and then a slide showing they have 50,000 connected carriers within the network, most (laughs) should all just share the same deck no matter what 3PL you're selling for. Yeah, you know, I was hearing this this pitch from uh, like this girl on this girl who works for TQL. She was doing a a pitch and she's like, yeah, guys, contact me anytime. I have trucks in your area because I have trucks in every single area. You know, we do a great job wherever. And it's like, first of all, you're with TQL. Second of all, I don't care what company you are. That's probably not true. Like you got to lean into your network's strengths and just saying you're broad and good at everything means you're probably not that good at anything yeah like we always talk about pick your niche the 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 niches have the riches and and that's my motto and go with what you're good at go with what their problem is because their problem probably isn't that they need trucks uh everywhere they probably need trucks in three or four different locations so concentrate on that and to answer tom's uh question on what percentage has (laughs) has those maps and those lines and fifty thousand carriers i would say 99.99 percent of 3pl and freight brokers uh pitch decks have have one or two slides that that address that Chris Jolly so says they, they're always all good at everything. Chris Jolly says he is the best at, at everything. Chris, you missed it. I asked in the beginning. Uh, we, <laughs> Chris, we read one of your uh, you, we read one of your points first about sending video instead of actually doing pitch decks and avoiding email. Can, uh, did you used to send pitch decks before the pandemic? Was my question. Now that you're in the comments, maybe you can shed some light on that or how videos worked for you better than doing pitch decks. We're very curious about that. But moving forward, John Brewer he said that he agrees with Michael Caney. Have it succinct. You know, use that Kawasaki method. That guy Kawasaki method of the 10, 20, 30, right? Which is 10 pages or less, 20 minutes or less, and never lower than 30 font, which means you can only put so many words within that page. Exactly right. The, 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 the less words, the better. And that's my motto. I, I try to stick with images or graphs. And so, so basically, if I were to, to send out my pitch deck after, after a meeting or a presentation, it probably wouldn't be very useful for handing it out or, or passing it along to, to a leadership team or decision makers because there's very little uh, about the story or about what I'm talking about on there. There's uh, a few key statistics that I'll talk about or, or graphs, uh, research that we've done, but I, I don't load it up with words. Well, here's the thing, too. When you and going back on that point, like, for example, Rob Bruce says cast a small net with specific strengths. Don't tell me you can do everything. And to further that and to kick that down the block a little bit further, if you say you're good at everything, that means you haven't done a ton of research on what we do and what we're bad at. Right. You're just saying you need to narrow in on what people are good at. You need to solve a problem, not every problem. Yeah, if you say oh, we're good at everything, that means you've done no research. You have no idea what their focus is. You, you haven't prepared at all. You're just going in with the, you know, your generic deck that 99.99% of every other 3PL or freight broker that walks into that office or or has a, a, a video call with this shipper is doing. So you don't stand out at all. To stand out, you have to have the best solution 
for the problem at hand. And it's better to know that problem before you get on a call or walk in that room. But if you don't, then you need to find out as soon as possible uh, what 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 exactly they're looking for today. Chris Jolly says he has never used a pitch deck. He only uh, types out an email afterwards highlighting our conversation. Maybe we'll convince him otherwise after today, after he after he hears from uh, what's this from Steve Ferreira. Uh, Chris Jolly says uh, video has been huge. I can tailor it directly to the content instead of a generic message. Yeah. And it can be quicker than having to do design, especially if you're not that great at design work. It can allow you to still use some strengths while not having to worry about putting as, you know, some really ugly sort of Photoshop thing. I know people in freight aren't the best uh, art directors in the world. And a lot of times when you see freight, people try to go uh, rogue and do their own photo shop and their own graphic work it uh, looks like they went out and did their own graphic work right <laughs> uh john, it really does john brewer he really does it looks like something i would do which i'm a horrible designer so i, I try to make my, my decks as simple as possible because i am a horrible designer john brewer he says that he agrees with uh michael kane like i said but he said one thing he sees is that most decks he's seen the rep typically skips the majority of the slides yeah that drives me nuts you know, cut down your deck, cut down your, anytime you can cut something out, anytime you can make it shorter, make it shorter. It's like that old saying, if I, if I could have wrote a, sh if I had time, I would have written a shorter letter. If you had time, make a shorter deck. Don't, if, if you're skipping things, it just keep, creates an unpolished perception to the person that you're presenting to. Especially if you're if you're using the same template, the, the same deck over and over and maybe tweaking it a little bit. And so, so you've, you've given multiple presentations using this deck. Why do you have extra slides that you don't use anymore? I mean, it's very cluttered. It shows ill preparation. It shows that you don't know what you're doing, that you're not on top of your game. Nicole Glenn said that she learned from her mistake, and this is one I've done, too. I think this is a lot of salespeople, their first year. And if you're in first year sales, I have bad news. 65% of you are going to lose your job. And that's, I'm not saying that to be negative, but that's just the reality. 65% of you are going to lose your job. And the reason is because you don't have a lot of this information. A lot of us don't. We start out, nobody guides you. Nobody does anything. Your company has a bad marketing department. They give you a crappy template deck. It's all about the company. Um, you don't know enough to switch that up, or you don't have the skills to, or, or the knowledge yet. You haven't failed enough times. When well, Nicole Glenn says she's made enough mistakes, and she stopped making the, comp the deck all about her company, and instead, it's about the prospect's company. Very important. Put your company at the end. Talk about problem and solution. Talk about the prospect's company, and then talk about your fit and how your company works at the end, and then also introduce your team. Exactly right. I mean, that's this formula that the, the top salespeople use. So why why aren't all salespeople using that? It's a little bit difficult. You, you have to know what you're doing. You have to go. Sometimes you have to, to just make all those mistakes to realize that that doesn't work, that, that putting uh, all your company information at the, the, the beginning and talking about yourself just doesn't work. But a lot of times people don't learn those lessons, but you have to learn those lessons. And once you get to the point and Nicole Glenn has uh, the, the right idea is it's talk about their company, talk about anything but yourself. Uh, the word you is the most powerful word in, in sales and marketing. So just use you, you, you. Try never to, to write I in, in anything, just you. Nicole Barrett says she doesn't, do. she doesn't use decks. So maybe we'll also convince her. Maybe we'll make a couple converts. Uh, a couple of uh, converts after this. Zach Coldiron <laughs> says, uh, late, but the world heavyweight champion of freight has arrived. Happy hump day, everybody. We need to have Zach Coldiron uh, go against Matt Hennig in the... Uh, Squared circle. There are two wrestling. They're actually wrestlers who who follow this show and follow yeah. freight content. The uh, two, that, two professional wrestlers that, that follow the show and, yeah. and 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 do sales for for transportation <laughs> logistics company. 
I love it. I'm a big fan. I was, you know, I, it's it's so weird. It's almost like two timelines converge because Kamala Harris was named was was picked as the VP candidate, but the wrestler Kamala Harris had like died two days beforehand. I don't know if you remember him from the '80s. He was a big fixture in the '90s. He was in the WCW in the Dungeon of Doom, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. It's like these two sort of converging timelines. So don't get confused. They're two different people. I don't think that many people would though. But given a perfect pitch deck, right? It has to, con- it has to convey a number of things, right? <laughs> well, retaining your audience's attention is almost like doing a podcast or anything else you are on when you go in there your job is to captivate the person sitting across from you or the group of people sitting across from you and you do that by talking about them just like how we talk to the the comments here and how you how you speak to anyone you want to resonate with your audience you want to play to your audience and it's like it's like being at a concert the best show is when the band stops a little bit too and takes in the atmosphere takes in the group takes in the city takes in what's happening they don't just play through every single song they don't just hit every single beat don't do that during your pitch meaning it doesn't matter how good your deck is if you're too routine you're too robotic you're too afraid every shark in that room is going to smell that blood in the water brother they are they are and the best way to do it and, you know I, I say provide a solution for the problem but but how you do that is to drive curiosity right i mean that's this uh, the great performers so they, they make you they, they leave making you want more number one but that they they, they drive that curiosity that they'll, they'll stop, they'll, they'll, they'll do different things to see what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? You need to drive that curiosity. Jonathan A. Payne says, brevity is the key in logistics, short and to the point. The long email with 10 attachments is something that nobody ever reads. This is so true. A lot of times I don't even, I, I just look at the, like on your iPhone, right? I open it up. I go to my, I go to my email and I have 194 on reds now. And all I look at usually is just who it's from, right? And the headline mm-hmm. and then these first two sentences. This is how you got to capture people. And if I, if there's 10 attachments, nobody's going to open them. You know, write, write a, it's almost like biblical. It's almost like how people are writing posts on LinkedIn now. Now, which is like two to three sentences per paragraph, only have like three paragraphs and never put mm-hmm. more than one attachment on there. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you might want to host something on a link, too, because people get more and more sketched out about opening attachments or they have firewalls blocking them, too. Or you'll go straight into the dumpster pile. So you might want to ask permission to send an asset beforehand. Or if you're like Steve, you're never going to send any of that stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a hard and fast rule. When I started out in sales, we would we do, do these follow-up emails, and we try to throw everything in the kitchen sink in there, five, 600 words, you know, recapping everything. And over the years, I've learned now I have a hard and fast rule. I don't write emails more than 120, 140 words max. I love paragraphs. I love to, to format it to where someone can skim through 140 words in about five or 10 seconds and get the, the meaning of what I'm writing. And if they have the meaning, it drives that, a little bit of that curiosity. If they're curious, if they're not, then they, they, they pass over it. But, you know, that's the life, you know, that's uh, the, the ratios and, and odds and cells. Uh, but I, I don't read any, I, I hardly read any email that's over 140 words. And if it's not broken out in paragraphs or if I can't scan it, I, I'm just, I, I just don't read it. All right, let's call Steve up. Let's get him on the line. We're already two minutes late. He was chomping at the bit since the beginning of the show, messaging me. We're dialing him up right now. Let's give a little inspirational music here as Steve gets pumped up to bring us through the world of pitch decks. The perfect pitch deck. How to put it out there and how to make it work. Two, one, zero. All all right, Steve Ferreira, you're on Put That Coffee Down with Kevin Hill and Dooner. How you doing, my man? Tim, it's so great to hear your voice and uh, be here today. I'm really thrilled. I'm doing well. How about 
We're doing great. Are you We're in uh, like the whole ship or something? I'm looking at your call-in graphic. Are you, uh, where, where are you, a submarine? Oh, you mean my graphic? No, that was actually a cruise that uh, the family took, and we thought it would be a pretty cool uh, headshot. Oh, <laughs> awesome, man. I, I nice. like the picture. Yeah, no, it looks great. It looks great. We're going to give you a chance to do your elevator pitch, though, so let's get that going. You got 30 seconds or less to pitch yourself, Steve. Here we go. Come on, Steve. Okay. So put that copy down, and I am so pleased to be here talking about pitch decks. And I just have one value proposition to, to everyone out there. Do you want more money? Do you want to change the uh, economic um, hardships of COVID? I have the solution. Closed. There you go. Oh, wow. Wow, he's got the That's solution. Short, sweet. He's got the answer to the pitch deck. He's got the solution. He's got it all. I want um, the solution. Give me the solution. That's good that was, curiosity, at least. You know, right? I, didn't, I didn't know we were going to do a, a sales throwdown, and uh, but I, I believe <laughs> in brevity. And um, it's really important to be here today to uh, help my um, uh, audience and your audience to uh, um, achieve the uh, important changes and challenges that they're going through in post-COVID. So, I thought it would be great to, uh, but I was a little confused though when you invited me on. I I didn't know wh- why you quite wanted me to talk about pitch desks. I don't know if you have my first graphic. Oh yeah, I think we have some yeah. slides here. Uh, he's got the the pitch desks in three easy steps. Let's take a look at that. What are the steps here? Identify pain points. Desk says it needs. That's a really nice looking desk too. That's a. It's similar to the one I have that I got from my, I believe West Elm. About a decade ago, it's held up well, Steve. But I haven't pitched it into the into the ocean. Uh, so find out ways to lead the desk to ask you to pitch it, and pitch it so it flows to the top and bottom, allowing every layer of the ocean to receive a personalized desk. Steve, is the is the philosophy for pitching desks the same as one for pitching decks? Oh, you mean this wasn't about pitching desks out of an office building into the ocean? It was about something else. I mean, look, Steve. We can we can take it any direction you like, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, a little player in words, but I think that one of the things that I do uh, in my uh, scope of uh, stewardship here at Ocean Audit is try to explain a message uh, simplistic in a very simple way. But I think there are really a five five main components. But obviously in this particular uh, slide point, I, I put together for you guys, for our audio listeners, it says easy pitch desks, D-E-S-K-S, in three steps. And it shows desks flying out of an office building into the ocean. And my steps are pitching a desk uh, to identify the pain points. Uh, obviously the desk says it needs to be pitched. Find ways to lead the desk to ask you to pitch it and then pitch it so it flows to the top and bottom of the ocean so that every layer of the ocean, i.e. organization, receives a personalized one. So I, uh, my, uh, my ability to uh, pitch the desks is what I thought you wanted me to talk about. But, oh, I get it. I'm sorry. I did have a backup to the program. If we'd like to talk about pitch decks, then I'm ready to start that part of the program as well. You got it. Let's do nice. it. Uh, how do you make, okay. what goes into making a really good pitch deck? Start at the beginning. 
I think that there are really five key issues that you have to look, one has to look at before they uh, even sit down to consider a, uh, a good pitch deck. Now, keep in mind, right, obviously there are two types of pitch decks. Uh, one is for investors, right, that you want capital for your money, for your company, excuse me. And then the other is, a, is of course, I think the most interesting one for your organization where, where it's a sales pitch deck. And I think that when you start to think about pitch decks, you have to think about these five items. You know, really, number one, what is the big relevant change or problem that you solve? I think that's one of the first and foremost issues that you have to get out on the table. I think the second one is how do prospects win or lose in today's world? You know, what what are the uh, the buyers evaluating? And I think third is what's the promised land? What what awaits your prospect uh, if they go through your um, your pitch deck? And I think fourth is does your deck address these so-called magical gifts that the prospect will receive? And then fifth, I believe that you need to include some kind of social proof in the deck um, as a uh, variable to help the proof, help the prospect um, get into the head nodding mode, which I think is really important. But before we um, we talk about another component of my deck, I, I wanted to talk about something I think I've heard the audience say and uh, talk about bullet points and people read them off. You know, to me, I have a 10 page deck and oftentimes I stop at the fifth page because I've already had the audience nodding and saying they agree with me. So what's the point of taking them through the other five decks, five pages, if I don't see any relevancy to it? I believe that you can sometimes lose or oversell yourself. And I think that if I was to leave you with uh, you know, one uh, common thought when you're looking at your audience and it be it a Zoom or just in, in dialogue, you know, when you make the comments, are, are you with me? You know, does this make sense to you? And if you see people nodding uh, uh, affirmatively, let's say you're on slide two and you, you've got two, other, two or three other bullet points to cover, move on. I mean, if they've already agreed uh, on, on those points, there's no need to start kind of, you know, retreading the tire, so to speak, when you're ready, when they're ready for some fresh, uh, fresh rubber. So those are some of my, uh, my initial. Well, hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. See, hold on. See, if you ask my wife, a lot of times, like, uh, I'll agree to things by accident because I just nod my head when I'm only half paying attention. So what, what happens if that happens in the pitch meeting? You just get some, uh, some wrong reads out of the room from the, uh, the people who are just nodding along like me. Well, remember, I think you've got you, you, you have to be in the right uh, before you really situate your pitch deck, right? You have to have uh, an understanding of the uh, the buyer persona, right? And not only the buyer persona, but the end user persona. And by that, I mean who, who's in the room, what's their titles, what's their roles, um, how strategic they are they to making a uh, to your getting a buy-in decision. Uh, do you have the, the key boss in the room that's going to be, you know, really leading it? And then he's got his, um, his other silos in the room. So I think you have to kind of look for and understand the buyer personas. So if they're satisfied, there's no reason not to move on. You're exactly right. I, I, think, that's, uh, I, I think that's one thing that, that a lot of salespeople do is that they get 
you know, either nods or buying questions, and they keep on going with their presentation. You start getting buying questions, and it's time to, to move on to the, the, the close or agreement or the next steps. There's no reason to go through your entire slide deck if, if by the third one they're agreement to you and they, they want to move forward. Stop the presentation and, and go to the next step, whether that's close, another meeting, uh, what have you. I do have a, a, you know, what I really like about your pitch deck, you posted on LinkedIn a, a few weeks ago, and I, I really like it. It's the simplicity of it. Uh, it. It doesn't really get into too much detail. It's a very simple concept, and you keep it very simple. And I know that's a struggle for all of us. And, you know, there, there's the famous quote that, that Duner said uh, just a, a few minutes ago, if I, if I could have written a – if I had more time, I could have written a, sh- a shorter letter. What's the key to simplicity? I think that one of the things that I, I like to uh, focus on is I think uh, buyers uh, will always determine their own pathways uh, to their end goal. And I think that you have a tremendous uh, ability with a pitch deck to fundamentally alter their um, the, the influence that they you have on them before they finalize what path they want to uh, go on. I mean, they may have a path that they want to achieve savings, which is a very generic path. But if they get the savings from, let's say, uh, a global air freight audit or a global um, customs audit or a global uh, ocean freight audit, such as I do, it's a more narrow and specific bandwidth. So I think that, you know, by fundamentally altering uh, the buyer's uh, mindset with the pitch deck, you can use context to elicit an even bigger buyer behavioral, behavioral change. Well, Steve, Steve, uh, actually, uh, Steve, we have an example too. So we're speaking so much about it. Let's actually get a visual up for people too. Let's let's walk through this deck a little bit so we can give a, a living example of of this deck that that Kevin referenced. I believe we have slide one in the back and is talking about working capital recoveries from ocean freight, right? Finance, logistics, post COVID, cash, playbook. Why the title? Why is that page one? I found that in the environment that we're in now, after talking to um, senior VPs of finance, internal audit. Uh, I, was pri- I was privileged to present to one of the um, most senior industry, industry groups in a private meeting not long ago. Well, it was the, the, the largest um, uh, importers in the room uh, and the top finance people in the room. And they all are striving for post-COVID cash. They're all looking for a way to recover. And I just felt that by, de- by designing a playbook for them, that would help me get into the persona that they were signifying the fact that they're willing to look under every rock now for uh, the recoveries at hand. That's the reason why the title, the reason why finance slash logistics is in there is I believe that one of the biggest problems in pitch decking is that you are pitching to these various silos. For example, you may have a logistics silo, a finance silo, a, a merchandise, a merchant silo, a product development silo. And you need to find a way to um, cross-pollinate these silos so that the doors or there's a ladder or a rope that you can swing between one silo and another. Otherwise, if you get buy-in from one segment, one buyer persona, the end-user persona may decide that, you know, hmm, uh, my boss said yes, but I'm really not going to cooperate fully here. So I think you really need to look at that, and that's the reason why I came up with that concept. So that's your title, 
Oh, Steve, that's a really good point on on incorporating, uh, building a title, incorporating customer feedback, things that you learn in a meeting, intelligence, basically market intelligence, and and fitting that back into into the pitch deck. And and Junior and I were talking about stale old pitch decks uh, that that people just use and use and use. But you're you're in meetings, you're in presentations, uh, you're getting questions, addressing those questions. In the pitch deck and incorporating it, having a living organic is 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 key. And uh, to, to go to the first page, if we can go to the or the the, the next slide, if we have it, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, slide number two, I, and I think this is the one where it, it builds curiosity. I, I can't read it on the teleprompter, but. I, I think it's it does. Your, it's on your sheet. You negotiated great ocean rates. Then you gave your vendors an additional 1% more. What if you could get that 1% return? So yes. what are you doing there, Steve? Well, I, I'm, I'm creating curiosity. I think that one of the things that uh, these uh, internal audit and uh, controller and CFO types are looking for, uh, they're looking uh, – I had a conversation with one of the major airlines uh, recently – and they said, uh, Steve, you've got to be able to produce at least 100000 for us. We don't want 5000 We don't want 10000 And it's really interesting, right, because, you know, organizations need every last bit of cash. But I have 17 of the Fortune 100 as clients. So my clients are looking for the big ticket retail. And I use that in quote, meaning they're looking for the big sale. They're looking for the big bang. And so by... Um, by looking at my buyer persona and understanding that my clients spend tens of millions of dollars in C-Freight, uh, a 1%, 2% recovery of that is very, very significant. And they never knew what they never had, so it intrigues them to push the envelope a little further to get more into the deck. Makes perfect sense. So, and then you got to further that along. So, you're doing your discussion here. You're, you're sort of identifying. You know, you negotiated the great rates. You got that. You got that one percent more. And then you got to further. You got to kick that can down the road. So, on the next slide, you're talking about how ocean freight is problematic. There's operational issues, right? There's freight rates and there's invoice inaccuracies. What color? What kind of context and color do you put that? So you don't just put that on the screen, Steve. Right? Your job now is to sell that page. Well, what I want to do is I want to lay the stage and, and let let the um, because there may be some dual there's a lot of dual making decision decision making in, in any major organization, right? You're not just necessarily going to have one person say yes, that's okay. I think what I'm trying to do in my ocean freight problematic slide, I lay out the three things that are the most crucial in today's environment: operational issues, freight rates, and and invoicing inaccuracies because of the fact that people are doing more with less. So because I'm laying out number one and two, I'm transitioning to, to the fact that their logistics team is, is so, 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 so crucially important that they are fixated on developing operational and freight rates to get the products in at the right place at the right time with the right velocity. And what they're less inclined to do well is manage any inconsistencies in invoicing. So I've set the stage here to tell a CFO or controller that, hey, your team is really super on number one and two, but perhaps they could use a little bump up on number three. So you painted the picture, you've driven curiosity, you've painted the picture of the market conditions or the, the, the industry conditions. What's the next step, Steve? Well, then I go to the next slide and I talk about just uh, how strategic, uh, how huge the problem is. And I, I talk about how 
beneficial cargo owners, uh, shippers, and consignees will lose $5 billion to inaccuracies and overcharges. And so I give them more of a quadrant for what the potential loss is. I don't yet boil it down to what their um, specific loss is because I've already kind of done that with my intro slide number two. But I think what uh, in my, you know, one of the things that I'm pioneering now is using video and audio within pitch decks. And this is, I think, really cutting edge stuff. And if you look at my fifth and final slide. Yeah, let's bring this you know, up. Very, it's, uh, it's invoicing yeah. inaccuracies. And it says uh, Soren Skew is CEO of Merskline. Merskline is the number one container vendor by TU shipped in the world. Should I hit that little audio clip? You put a little audio, you make it a little interactive, don't you? Well, actually, the next slide uh, is what we want to look on the screen here. Um, well, I think I'm on a delay, but uh, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so I talked mm -hmm. about the, the uh, invoicing inaccuracies, and um, I, I lead in with Soren Sko, who uh, is a thought leader. And usually what I do at that point is I kind of pause and I hit the audio. And if you go ahead and hit the audio, you see, you'll see why this is such a powerful message. It's downright scary to know that 12% of our invoices are not correct. And usually that ends the presentation. Usually um, when I'm able to uh, articulate and show a, a world thought leader like the CEO of Merskline that the industry has an issue, uh, no longer is the client hearing it from me, but now all those uh, statements that I've made uh, are, are ringing true to the buyer persona in the room. So it's a very powerful way, and I thought about this last night in preparation for today's session, that you know, if you're a truck broker, you could have an interview with a shipper that uh, uh, found a, uh, a dynamic that you use to be helpful for him. There are so many permutations of how you can incorporate video and audio into pitch decks. And frankly speaking, this is cutting edge stuff. I don't see it being done. So usually at this point, I have another five or six slides but I would say in 70% of my presentations, I'm able to stop the presentation here. Wait, oh, are you talking about in freight? You don't see like audio interactive elements put in? Because I've seen awesome marketing decks that definitely incorporate those elements. But, you know, in, in freight, we're a little bit behind. I'm just saying that in general, generally speaking, the standard pitch deck that a freight forwarder, uh, someone in ocean freight, I, I mean, it might be different in some of the 3PL or 4PL and the domestic truckload industries that, that you spend time covering. But in my particular industry, I don't see a lot of use in pitch decks of video and audio. You put together a slide here also. It's, uh, what is it, pitch desks, not poop decks? I don't, I'm not even sure where you go with that one, Steve, but pitch desks, not poop decks. And you, you outlined some of your core criteria. If you can bring that slide up. And Steve, can you walk us through uh, these bullets you put on here, your, your fundamentals? Well, sure. I mean, I'm a little bit player on words, obviously. Poop deck being the highest end of a ship. And I think a poop deck is something that's actually very, you know, complementary, right? To, to, uh, it's the raised end of the ship. It's the ship and it's the end of the ship, uh, the poop deck that gets the highest attention. And so we want to move from just pitching desks to being really proprietary in that buyer persona mindset. And that's why in my bullet points, where I talk about know your buyer persona, but I also talk about know your stakeholder persona because they can be very much two different personas. And I think that if you understand those personas, you are then in, uh, it, it, then, it then enables you to capture 70% of what we're looking for in pain points. In other words, 
in general, before you've been walking in, even if you know a very minimal amount of detail about the persona, you at least have an idea in general of that industry's or that company's pain points, assuming you've done your research well. So I think that by putting in some interesting, what I call derivatives, like for example, my Soren's Go speech, I think it enables you to gain 20% of the pain elements that you might not have realized and you can see how well they resonate, you know, based on, you know, your audience's feedback. So I think that, you know, my opinion is I'm kind of a 90-10 guy, right? I want to go for 90, trying to cover 90% of the pain points that I understand or I believe from my research that most of my clients have so that I can support their vision for moving the ball forward. And hopefully they can accept my solution as being in line with where their buying expectations are. But last but not least, I think you have to really uh, not oversell. And again, why use the whole deck? If you already have people nodding or hear the comment, yeah, that's true. Or I totally agree with you. You know, when I hear that, it changes totally the dynamic of where the pitch deck is going. So I think that, you know, what I try to do at Ocean Audit and my stewardship as a, as a thought leader in this topic is I try to make the pitch decks an experience not a PowerPoint presentation. I want to take my client on a journey and I want to go from pitching desks to being on that poop deck to having that number one position when the buyer thinks of me as a, as a vendor for the solution that they require. That's fantastic, Steve. So let's, let's inform our audience here. Let's, let's give them some tips. And I, I think one thing, you know, incremental change. I always like incremental change. What's the one thing that, that most people can do to dramatically, one simple step, the, the simplest step to, to really dramatically improve uh, their use of pitch decks? I think the most simplest step, and I honestly believe this in my heart of hearts, is take a look at what you have now and eliminate 50% of it. Clients want less. They want uh, a little bit more um, focus on how you're going to solve their pain and not what model XYZ can do or the fact that you increase the, the Dayton LTL uh, service area by 500 square feet. Now, Steve, I, I, knowing the persona is also knowing the, the problem, the issues they face with their point of view, where they're coming from. But for, for people a little bit unfamiliar, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of them on this persona term. So how do you identify our persona and build around it? I think what you have to look at is uh, on the buying persona, you have to really, I mean, you know, LinkedIn is a great tool. And of course, just, you know, uh, referrals and word of mouth in terms of who, uh, who the decision makers are at, you know, at Fortune 500 companies. I think LinkedIn is a great source because you can look at somebody's background and see how analytical they are, you know, how much they've done on, you know, um, you know, um, on uh, if they're a black belt, you know, what's, you know, where are they approaching it from? Are they, are they somebody that's, you know, been through a domestic transportation company and matriculated over to an international? Is it vice versa? Do they come from an admin role? And I think you have to look at those personas and you start to craft your, your deck. Uh, because I'm really, uh, if I said the second major thing that would be helpful is one size does not fit all. So you really have to look at all the, the matrices of where these um, buyers and stakeholders are coming from and where they've been. 
I would agree with that. I would, and, and that that's it. Putting context to it. So, in summary, Steve, you gotta you gotta solve the problem, right? You gotta be succinct, especially from the desk point of view, but in terms of a speaking point of view as well. And you gotta know who you're talking to. It's it's almost like a, just a more advanced and visual aspect of a cold call in in some senses that you want to. Uh, you always want to kind of get to the point of things, don't you? I think you do. I think that one of the things that will help your audience a lot is if you, you, you sometimes it's unclear in terms of who you should really structure uh, wanting to um, articulate your pitch deck to. So I, I, I always believe that there's a kind of a safety valve. If you pick two or three people in an organization, perhaps in, um, in different silos, let's say in finance or logistics or supply chain, I don't think there's any harm in crafting separate messages to all three of them as long as it resonates with where you want to go and how you want to solve their overall pain. So I think that if you can make it a little specific initially, and then you kind of start to team build around that deck and the other silos can talk to one another. Well, Steve, you just pitched our audience. So how do they go and learn more information about you and Ocean Audit? They can certainly look us up on uh, Steve Ferreira on LinkedIn. Um, my uh, LinkedIn Live persona is uh, OK Boomer Live, and you can follow me on LinkedIn and at uh, OceanAudit.com. Steve, thank you for being open, honest, and sharing all of your uh, your your insights on how to make a a deck. Hope your competitors were not listening. <laughs> uh, I think I got a strong uh, couple of years uh, advance uh, on them, so no worries. And it's been a privilege to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Take it uh, easy. Th- thank you, Steve. Bye. Wow, a lot of, lot of poop talk that time. I know, right? It was a, a lot of poop talk, uh, poop talk and uh, uh, sending desks into the ocean. Those were really nice desks, I must say. That was great insight into Steve. And, you know, some of this stuff, it's like it's not that it's not that complicated. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's it. Well, you know what? I, it takes more work, right? Like anything, it takes more work. Yeah. You can't just use the templates and everything. But in terms of crafting the deck, you don't have to make 45-page decks, 50-page decks going crazy about it. What you're really trying to do is just is just crystallize the information, make it as succinct and as, as ingestible as possible without overloading your potential prospect with too much information or with too much, uh, too much what is it, uh, right? Exactly right. It goes back to the curse of knowledge, right? You have all this knowledge that you want to impart, but if you're not abstract, simple, concrete, it's hard to communicate that to to your prospects, and you need to break it down as simply as possible. So the fifty page the the fifty page slide decks. Are, are easy but complex, right? The, the, the five to 10, like Steve just did, are very simple but very difficult to do. And, and you find that a lot in life. You know, that the simple things are, are often that, the, you know, it, it takes a lot of trial and error and, you know, breaking down the complexity. And that's the, the most difficult part. And it takes a lot of practice. Brandon Beaton, he replied to your post that you put out. Sheena Dave, she says, less is more, keep it short. Uh, Discovery, the executive priority and solve the problem. That's uh, Melanie Griff. And uh, Corey Albert says, Tuner and Hill. Hey, Corey, thanks for joining us. Ed Rasky says, if you use more than two to three sentences, your email will get deleted more than likely. I agree. And Amanda Miller says, I heard that. I'm not sure what, what she heard. Uh, I've said so many different Brandon Beaton, by the way, he says, to teach yeah. is to learn twice is one of my favorite quotes. I think anyone with extensive knowledge can teach 
themselves getting can find themselves getting too granular. The key is to know how you're uh, to know your audience and deliver the information that specifically matters to them. And I, I had a professor who told me that, uh, you know, that to, to know something is to be able to to be able to teach something and to really understand something is to be able to convey it back to someone simply. It's not a bunch of high level jargon. It's uh, it's 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 you know, it's it's conveying it's, the it's, information. It's really difficult work. I, I do a, a blog post here for the, the sonar.freightwaves.com website each week, and it's, it's kind of Freight 101. And, and, you know, we can talk to our audience. We can talk to each other in a very abstract way uh, about the, the, the trucking markets and, and logistics and all the terminologies and idiosyncrasies. It, it's very easy to do, you know, but to, to sit down and write an article, maybe, you know, the difference between the contract and spot market for someone who's outside and breaking that down to the basic level. It is difficult work. It makes me really think about things, uh, but it, it allows me to understand the, the, the basic principles so much better. So uh, teaching, uh, you know, teaching and writing those, those one-on-ones have helped me tremendously. We're going to draw a book in about two minutes here. So if you're not on our book list, just write book it in the comments right now. I will add you to our drawing list. We have a couple more comments to get to. Bradley Palmer says, great topic, recalling one of the difficult concepts explained in 30 seconds. He's talking about wormholes. Something explained wormholes in 30 seconds. Now, you can imagine that's a challenge in and of itself. I actually got to watch that video in 30 seconds after the show. I'm going to find out how wormholes work. Jamin said, had a great convo with Jeff Lerner about the art and beauty of simple messaging. Stephen Elliott said, uh, we have great topics and guests. Well, thank you, Stephen Elliott. We appreciate that. Randy Hudson said, thanks, Kevin. This will be great. I can certainly get long-winded and provide a long answer to a short question, telling people how to make that watch, right? Oh, yeah. We, we can all do that. We all fall, our, uh, fall into that trap. Definitely. Eric Sertis said, I'm excited you didn't have a meeting planned. Yeah, he's in the comments. Thanks for joining us. Tamara Jackson says, book it. Ed Rasky says, book it. You guys are going to be on the list when we draw in just a second. Here, get your book ready, Kevin. I tend to, TJ Knudsen said, he tends to use analogies and comparisons. I also emphasize keywords or concepts with his voice and hands to push what I feel could make sense. I feel like I, I do that quite a bit too, TJ. We are, we are similar. Amanda Miller says, this topic could not come at a better time. She must have to pitch sometime in the very near future. Don't you, Amanda? It sounds that way, doesn't it? It does. Oh, sound, and so, so the book this week, I don't have a copy. Oh, go ahead. I just want to say shout out to also Tom Aguntlier. He's a great topic and very timely given the situation we're in. Good going. He was on Logistics of Logistics with Joe Lynch. Uh, he gave a shout out to some of us, so I just wanted to thank him as well. Okay, so Kevin, sorry, what's the book? The, the book is made to stick. I don't have a copy of it on me right now. I have given away all my copies. I need to, to get another copy for myself, but I'm going to give that away. What I'll do is post out... The, the five principles of what makes a sticky idea. You know, the, the sticky idea, like a grid presentation, you leave the room, and whoever you've been talking to, whether it's a client, customer, prospect, they remember that conversation for a long time. So there's five principles of that, and I will post that out on, on LinkedIn. But the entire book, which is one of the, the best books on, on marketing and, and sales I've ever read, uh, we'll give that out to, to whoever wins the drawing right now. Amanda Miller has to pitch in an hour. All right, let's draw the book. Drum roll. And the winner is number 58 on this list. Who is number 58? It is Justin Smith. Justin Smith, you have won a copy nice. of this book. I don't know if he's in the comments here, but if not, we will communicate with you on LinkedIn and we'll get that out to you. What's the book next week, Kevin? So the book next week is, uh, I, I'm not sure yet. I, I 
I, I've gotten to the point where I, I'll give people five choices most of the time. I, I did that for Lawrence uh, Alvarado. And it'll be on negotiations. It might be made to stick again. Uh, I, I've kind of went through all my, my library, so I need to start reading some more books. But I'll recycle and, and whatever you're, you want to read. We only got 90 seconds. All right. Uh, okay. okay, so... All right, coming up, freight forecasting is at uh, 4 p.m. What, today or is that tomorrow? That's that's tomorrow. We got the, uh, yes. what's it called? Mystery market update tomorrow. Today, what's today is Freightonomics. That'll be on at 2 o'clock. Stick around for that. Anthony and Zach will give you all the talking points you need for your next freight sales call. You can find this show by looking up Freightcast on your favorite podcast player of choice. If you And also on there, you'll find every single Freightways podcast, including the midday market update, what the truck, every single show we do. And, uh, and great quarter guys, which you guys did yesterday. You can find Kevin Hill at Kevin Hill CL on the Twitter or Kevin Hill on LinkedIn. Keep the conversation going with him. You can find me at Timothy Dooner. That is D double O N E R on the Twitter or the LinkedIn Freightways Carrier Summit coming up the 19th and the 20th. Go to live.freightwaves.com for details. Kevin Hill, take us home, man. Yeah, it's everything about this episode is keep it simple, stupid. You know, kits, keep it simple, stupid. Don't get complex. Very simple. Paint the picture. Do a great slide deck and take it home. Close more deals. Make more margin. Well, thank you to Steve Ferreira and everyone in the comments today for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for joining us for another great episode of Freightways. Put that coffee down. We'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>